The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan and now back to the podcast enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with BetMGM at your fingertips every play and every game matters more than ever place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Well, hello, everyone. I have a little story to tell you today. Um, So this is a little embarrassing. I'm going to start off saying that I was in the grocery store and I actually posted this on my Instagram stories because it happened to me last week. And I I like was, you know, looking around and I caught this man out of the corner of my eye looking at me and I was like, in my head, I was like, wow, I still got it. Like, not bad for my 40s. And then, you know, walked around the store and I was like, you know, when you get older, like you're an old lady like me, you start to go like, men don't look at me like they used to. So I was, I, he really was looking at me. Then I get out of the store and I get in my car and I notice that my entire shirt was unbuttoned and like my boob was completely hanging out. So like there wasn't thankfully like, like, like nipple showing because that I would have had to move. I mean, I would have looked like a prostitute, but there was like, you know, like an entire, like my whole boob was hanging out and I was so embarrassed 
And then it ruined the entire thing for me that I was like, oh, I'm getting checked out. I was not getting, well, I was getting checked out but for all the wrong reasons. And I, the sad part is I was going to pick up my daughter from, she had a play date, like after school or not a play date. She's 12. They went and got pizza, her and a couple of friends. And I'm pretty sure like the shirt was still unbuttoned when the her friends saw me. So now like her friends think that her mom is a complete tramp. And, um, and so like, I'm going to start the show telling you, like, watch your buttons, ladies, make sure they're, they're closed. Because I now like, I'm pretty sure like I'm the tramp mom to my daughter's friends. I'm going to start the show. Well, hello, everyone, you are listening to judging Megan with your host, Megan judge. I'm lucky enough today to have Jill Teets on my show, and she is a podcaster. Her podcast is called Sobered Power. Correct, Jill? (laughs) (laughs) By the way, before I started this, everyone, I was having tongue twisters. I can't speak this morning. (laughs) Hi, Jill. How are you? I'm good. How are you? (laughs) Did I say it wrong again? (laughs) You said it the same way as before. Okay. Sobered Power. Pa- what did I say? I don't know what I just said. <laughs> That's the it. same Tell thing me again. you said. Sober powered. Okay. And what is it? No, that's what it is. Oh, I said it right. I don't even <laughs> want to edit this out because I want people to know that I'm a freaking complete moron <laughs> and I don't even know how to in- introduce a guest. Jill, if you would, if you would currently like to leave the show and not record with me, I completely understand it. Everyone, I think the show is over. This person thinks I'm not very smart. Jill, are you staying? I'm staying, but because of that story in the beginning, because a similar thing, <laughs> a similar thing happened to me, and I'm oh. so happy you. T- yeah. Can you tell your story? Let's start it out light, since I just made a complete <laughs> ass of myself. What happened to you? It's so bad. Um, I was taking the tea. So I live in Boston and I was taking the tea to work and I had a backpack on. And when I sat down, somehow my dress got bunched up under the backpack. When I stood up, my entire butt was just out there in the world. And I just was walking away, you know, I didn't know my whole butt was just there. How did you find out? Did somebody tell you? No one told me. Nope. Um, how long felt... How long did you walk around, Jill, with your like hiney <laughs> hanging out? Um, at least a full minute, maybe two, but I started to feel like, you know, breezy. And I was like, what? And I felt and I was like, <gasps> Oh my and, god. Yeah, I considered moving too, actually. But like, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, it's like literally one of those things you're like, how do I even go on? It's one of like the biggest fears that a woman can have that or like a to- toilet paper hanging off your yep. shoe. And you're like, you know, like out somewhere, have no idea. Why don't people tell you these things? I know that when I see women, I'm one of those people that says you have like pepper in your teeth or food in your teeth or your bra is showing, I would tell someone or I would be like, Jill, hi, I just met you on the, <laughs> is the tea a bus or it's the subway, right? Subway. Because when you first said it, I was like, what were you doing with tea? I'm so confused. And then I remembered what the tea is. Um, So I'm really sorry that that happened to you, but you probably like 
got some new fans out of it. I don't know. I'm sure I did. It was like five years ago, but I'm still scarred from it. And are you still living in Boston? Yep. (laughs) Which I already know. Um, well, I like to start this out light and I'm so, I'm so happy to meet you. I know that your podcast is a very successful podcast and I'm hoping that my listeners that, um, I've done another episode actually with, um, with Denise Klein, who she runs a rehab center in, um, Milestones Ranch in Malibu, California. So we've talked a lot about sobriety and like, in that episode, but it's nice to have somebody on that can talk to me about their own experiences with leaning on alcohol. I know that we talked before the show and you said that you call yourself a sober person. I have so many questions. So let's start with your life, like where you grew up and your early years, if you're okay with that. Yeah. So I grew up in the Boston area. Um, I've always lived here and I had, you know, my parents were married. I have one younger brother. And on the outside, it just looked like a totally normal childhood. We looked like a regular old family. Um, but my parents had a really toxic marriage. And that was that was a big problem for me growing up. Uh, my dad was, he was pretty emotionally abusive to all of us, um, especially my mom. And I started to realize that when I was about 10 years old. And that's when things changed for me in a lot of ways, not just this way. But um, I started to really dislike him, which turned into hatred because I saw how he was treating my mother. Mm -hmm. And living with someone that you hate for like every day for your whole life is really hard. (laughs) It was a very, very angry child. Um, I was just angry all the time and I had no escape because when I was 10 years old, that's also when I started getting bullied in school. So I had this home life that made me angry and, but I didn't want to go to school either because I was bullied every day. So I, I just had no like normal time where I felt okay. I was either like afraid of bullying or I was angry And the bullying, unfortunately, lasted till I graduated high school. (laughs) It was eight years of bullying, you know, in varying degrees over the years. Like some years were really bad. Some years, like just no one really talked to me. But I never had any friends. And because of that, I never drank. Like I had no opportunity to drink as a high schooler. So I think it protected me in a way. Because, you know, obviously I grew up to have a problem with alcohol. So that could have started much younger and been worse in some ways. So I'm thankful that I didn't drink then. Let me ask you a question. Bullying is, I mean, I could talk about bullying. I I also went through a little phase, just thankfully for a few years when I was young, where I was bullied a little bit. And my, my case of bullying was not that bad, but it was bad enough that... Um, I'll never forget it. And it kind of like trauma has traumatized me. And I brought it through relationships in my own life, even up to my adulthood in my 40s. Um, I think that people don't realize what bullying does to human beings and how it always will stay with you. Um, but it also sounds to me like you're also um, an ace, adverse childhood experiences um, and understand what that is, as well as myself. And it's very, very common for ACEs to 
have problems with addiction later in life. And um, and I just want to start out saying how sorry I am because I know how what it's like to be bullied. And I know what it's also like to live in a house of hell. <laughs> um, I lost my dad as a little girl when I was like 12 years old and my mom remarried a complete monster. And I was, I was, I hated my life. I hated being in the house. I wanted to escape. And I'm just sad. I'm always sad to hear what the, and I'm sure you feel the same when people have experienced those experiences. It's, it's not fair, right? Yeah. And your home is supposed to be somewhere that you feel safe. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have anywhere that I felt like that. And that's hard. Like you think as a kid, you know, it's, it's not that bad. It could be a lot worse. Like look at these other kids. But when you grow up, you're like, geez, I never had a break. There was no break ever, no matter what I was doing. I wish I could like break through the screen and give you a hug. Like I wish I could. I just met you, and thank God we're oh, you're not together. Make me cry. <laughs> I thank God we're not together recording this, or you would be like, number one, she's not very smart. She doesn't know what my <laughs> podcast is called. Number two, she's weird and like wants to hug me, and her and she's also trampy. Like her boob pops out <laughs> at the grocery store. But like all kidding aside, um, you know that I don't know like how how people that haven't been bullied or haven't dealt with like the pain of like living in a household where there's like, you know, an abusive step parent like I had, or your father sounds like he was abusive and then going to, it's like double and how like young children are supposed to cope with this stuff, not to mention like I, that's why I started this podcast. It's all about like helping people deal with, talking about their mental health and like stopping the stigma against people talking about it. What did you do to, to escape when you got to a place where you weren't being bullied? Did that happen in college? Like, tell me about that. Yeah. So as soon as I finished high school, I was free from the bullying mm -hmm. and, but it took a while for me to believe that I was safe among my peers. So I went to college and I kept to myself for a while. I didn't feel like putting myself out there. I really didn't remember how to put myself out there. Um, so I just kind of studied, went to class, had boyfriends, whatever. Um, and then I took about two years before I started making friends. And then I slowly came back to my old self. Like bullying also makes you weird. Mm -hmm. Like it changes your personality. When I was in elementary school, I used to run up to girls on the playground and just be like, my name is Jill. Do you want to be best friends? <laughs> like oh, I was that so sweet sad, little girl. Jill. I, okay. So just to make you understand, my bullying happened from like probably like second, third until probably like fifth. And I forgive my bullies now. Because I don't know, kids can be so mean and we don't really understand where it stems from. It's all actually stemmed from insecurity and being a mother of two little girls. It kills me when I hear stuff like I just I'm so scared that this will try like thankfully they're both pretty okay. But when you hear these stories with girls, especially girls are yep. so mean to other girls. 
Um, I just remember like you, like running up to like a girl that I was obsessed with. I'm not going to name names and giving her a present. Like I was, I was like, I got like some kind of gift or something. And I wanted her to like me so much that I came to school in like second grade and gave her a gift because I thought that it would make her like me. And that doesn't that like, can you relate? Doesn't that like want to bring you to tears to realize like a little kid that just wants to be loved is so innocent is be somewhere on a playground like you and I or is being treated the way that we were treated. Like you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And it, it is sad and it makes no sense why certain kids are targeted do you ever wonder why you were targeted? Do you know? Is it like self-reflection that you've thought about like in your adulthood? So I moved. We moved in the same town, but I switched school districts. So all my friends from elementary school went to the other middle school in my town. And I went to one that I didn't know anyone at. And I lived on a street with a bunch of popular kids. And I started to get popular actually in the beginning because I was just a really friendly, cute little girl. Yeah. And one of the popular girls on my street decided, nope. And then she started bullying me and turned the whole school against me. I mean, it's awful. And by the way, this behavior still happens in adulthood with women. Yep. yep. And I mean, I could... I could just write a book on this, as I'm sure you could as well, like where this stems from. I've thought about it so much. Like, why? Because that kid was obviously jealous of you in some way or threatened by you. And I think it all stems from and I'm going to like take a turn really quick and then stop talking because I tend to be a giant loudmouth and it's about you. But I had a mom reach out to me. Actually, it's interesting. We're talking about this last night. Because she said, oh, my daughter came home today and told me something. And I think she might have hurt your daughter's feelings. And so I was so impressed by this mother that she took like charge and initiative to reach out to me in a text message. Like that's where it comes from. It comes from the home, right? Talking to your kids and educating them about bullying. Don't you agree with that? Yeah, because now that little girl knows I need to apologize. That mm-hmm. was a mean thing to say. And then next time she's considering doing something like that, she can think of how she hurt someone's feelings and had to actually apologize and go through that and understand how they felt. And she'll be less likely to do it. But when parents just like don't care and it's whatever, then the kid does it more and more and more and more. There's no consequence. Well, I think too that parents... um some parents are guilty of being like, well, my kid's a cool kid. Like, yeah, I wish I was cool when I was young. As long as my kid's a cool kid, um, I'm like, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to say anything like it's your kid's fault that they don't have friends, whatever it is. Yeah. Whereas I going through stuff myself, even through adulthood with women, I tell my kids now all I care about at the end of the day is you come home and you were nice to everybody. And if I ever hear a story where you were mean, I will lose my freaking marbles. And they both know that. And they also both know I don't ever want my mom with me in a situation where I'm on a playground 
or somebody is mean to me because my mom is like, we'll go after them and it won't be pretty. You know, I think it's like we said, it just all stems from home. So mm-hmm. we'll turn back and I'm sorry to go off on that tangent, but I really think it's important for listeners. I have a lot of female listeners that are mothers that they, they, they take a step back and they think about you, you know, how you, somebody was threatened by you and they decided to ruin your entire childhood, basically where you were already being traumatized at home. And then you had to go all the way through high school. I'm assuming living in a small town where people just hated you. And what was the reason? Right? Yeah. Like at the bus stop, the kids would all stand around in a circle talking Um, Because a lot of kids ended up living on my street for some reason, and they would not let me in the circle. So I would just stand there alone. And there were a lot of instances like that. Like a lot of times at lunch, I would hide in the bathroom or sit in the library. um, So I never felt like it was okay to just be around the other kids because they were purposefully excluding me for no reason. Like I feel like most people didn't even know why they weren't supposed to like me. (laughs) I mean, it's true, though. I mean, I like I I think that people are so obsessed with like keeping up with the Joneses and being like, what is the definition of cool? Even learning it as kids, bringing it into adulthood. I had a situation with a bunch of moms I've talked about and like one of them trashed me and like I had a bad friend breakup and then all these women like hated me and like didn't even have a reason. I never had issues with anybody before that. And then all of a sudden, they all hate me. And now I've just made the conscious decision. I just avoid. I I pretend like they don't even exist. And that's kind of like what's helped my mental health in the situation. And then my whole life has changed and for the better. So it was a learning experience. So let's talk about going back to after the bullying happened and getting out of your house, which sounds like it was really unhealthy. Um you went to college, you started to make friends, you had relationships with like boyfriends. What was that like for the first time in your life feeling like, wow, people like me, I'm actually okay? Were, could you admit that to yourself or no? It took me a long time to believe that people actually liked me. I thought it was only a matter of time till they found out, you know, whatever was wrong and then hated me for it. So I was always just paranoid that they were going to find something out. I didn't know what it was, but they were going to find something out and not like me anymore. I like can't even take this. (laughs) It's so sad. It's so awful. And like what what happens to young children stays with them like forever, even into like for for the rest of your life. I. And and we're going to talk about, like, how you got into, like, obviously, like, putting Band-Aids on your pain with addiction, right? And I'm, and I would assume, just from knowing about you, your addiction fell under alcohol? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, like, let's talk about that. So did you, when you were in college, was that kind of when the Band-Aids started, like, drinking? Like, that's what most kids do in college, right? I know I did. I have a cat here. <laughs> I see a cat. There's a, This is an animal-friendly podcast, by the way. Like, my last episode, my therapist was on, and Coco was barking, her dog. And usually, my dog's name is RBG. Um, oh. Yeah, but she, I call her Ruthie. <laughs> she usually comes in, like, 
with like a can out of the trap. She's the worst dog ever. <laughs> but hi to your cat. So cute. <laughs> yeah, she loves podcasts. She oh, she does. Up. She's a mm-hmm. she's a podcast cat. Yep. Oh, loves podcasts. Big RBG fan. is not a podcast dog. Maybe I need a cat. Um. <laughs> Okay, so tell me about like, tell me about once you got to college, let's talk more about that. And when you started realizing that you were leaning on alcohol. So I didn't drink in college. Oh, you didn't? No. Wow. Yeah. So I had my very first drink was right before I got to college. Um, So I was on a cruise with my family to Bermuda. Okay. And the legal drinking age there was 18. Um, so I was 18 and I had my parents permission. So I got a drink and I had a glass of wine and I thought I was like so fancy and cool. Mm -hmm. And then halfway through the glass, I started to feel that little flutter in my head and I was hit with so much shame. And I was like, you're a bad person. You've done something wrong. You're a loser on my first half glass of wine ever. Why? I think that I believed that there was no mental effect from alcohol, that it was just like this nice adult drink. And if you crossed over and got drunk, it meant you were a loser and a bad person. So wow. I thought I was drunk. Where, where, did that, where did that come from? Do you know where that came from? Yeah, I have. So I've always struggled, always struggled with shame. With shame. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just it's always been a problem. I grew up watching my mom drink to cope with the bad marriage. Yeah. So the drinking that I was exposed to was like the sad kind of drinking. Okay. And my dad didn't drink really. Um, My family, they would have like half a drink occasionally. So I never saw the other side of drinking. And because Mm -hmm. I never really had friends, I never saw the fun kind of drinking, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I only saw drinking to cope and I only saw like what were shown in the movies, like the loser alcoholics, you know? Yeah. So I just believed like if you got drunk, it meant you were a loser. And I thought I was drunk. I thought I did something Off of wrong. a half a glass of wine. Cause I had an effect. So yeah. I thought I had done something wrong cause I had that feeling. Um, so I didn't drink after that for a few years. And wow. When I got to college, I got really interested in being thin. That was my first obsession. Mm -hmm. And thinness and alcohol, I knew didn't mix. So that was another reason I didn't drink. Yeah. And where, and so, so you struggle, I'm assuming struggled. I mean, you fall so much like myself under the ACE category with eating disorders, all of that stuff. Did you, did you find in college you had an eating disorder? Yeah, so I would have like a fasting kind of schedule. Um, Like I would plan my classes in a way that I could be at school for a very long period of time. I lived at home. Um, So I would just not eat the whole day. And then like I had this little notebook, like one of those pretty little notebooks that are like this big that you get from Walmart, the pretty cover. And I would write every day like, the exercise I was going to do, like the food that I was allowed to eat, like how many calories, like check it off. Um, Yeah, I did a lot of cardio. (laughs) Yeah, it's a control. It's a control. You were, you were 
obviously that was a control way to control what had happened to you, what was happening. And like, that's very typical. So that makes sense. Yeah. And Um, knowing that I didn't eat for like a whole day or like a day and a half or something made me feel like really good about myself, like accomplished and that I was doing something good, you know, and it was just a way to get control because I never knew how to deal with anything. And because I still lived at home, I was angry all the time and overwhelmed all the time. So the only way I knew to control anything was to not eat and feel at least, you know, powerful in that area. Ugh, it's yeah. so sad. I I just I'm 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 first of all I'm honored that you're telling your story. I know it's not easy like sometimes kind of talking about these things, but how it can help so many other people that might be struggling with the same things and the shame and like the pain. I mean, I think there's so many people that can relate to this kind of stuff. And most people like push it down and pretend like it never happened. Right. I know that I was guilty of that for a lot of my life. And then it got to a boiling point a few years ago where I just couldn't push it down anymore. So I I commend you for for talking about this because I know it's hard. Um, so when did you realize like after, so you struggled with the eating disorder and then what happened? Was that all through college? Yeah, that was all through college. And then I went to grad school and I would yo-yo a lot. Like I would, it started, you know, gain 10 pounds, lose 10, gain Mm -hmm. 20, lose 20. Mm -hmm. Then when I graduated college, it was like gain 30 So then I got to grad school and I'm back in like diet mode, like exercise two times a day, like don't eat all this stuff. And I met my husband like shortly after starting grad school and we fell in love and got serious super quick. And I thought like, I want to be normal for you. Yeah. I want to have, I want to have a home with you and like, eat with you and not do like weird stuff that I'm doing. And then I got into therapy and I started small. I was like, let's, you know, eat a 200 calorie lunch and see that you don't die. Like you don't gain 50 pounds from it. And as I worked on that, I started drinking. And that's when it, yeah, Yeah. I just just swapped them. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's very typical, like, as you know, because you talk about addiction so much that once you have one addiction, there's usually two addictions, right? And like, people don't realize that they might swipe out another addiction for another one, because you're still if you don't do the work on your mental health and figure out the problem, you're going to keep finding new things, right? Yeah. And I still had all that anger and Mm -hmm. overwhelm and I didn't know how to deal with anything. And everybody at grad school drank. Even the professors would drink with us. And I had this strong desire, like, I just want to fit in. I want them to like me and they're not going to like me if I go out and I'm like this weird person that doesn't drink and they're all drinking. So that's why I started drinking. And it was like instantly, you know, solved all my problems (laughs) yeah did you feel like when you started drinking like it's like it's an escape and you don't have to remember 
like what happened because you're suddenly like happy, right? You're like, this is fun. So I can happy. let loose. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. It, nothing felt better than alcohol. I had never felt anything that amazing in my whole life. Um, I felt like I fit in, like people like me, like I was having all this fun. I felt like I was missing out on so many other things, like for all the years I didn't drink. Mm -hmm. But it was right away a problem. Like there was no slow descent into problem drinking. Like from the very beginning, I couldn't control myself. Um, I, because I was coming from this weird understanding that like, it's a nice adult drink that doesn't have any effects until you get drunk, which means you're a loser. So I was always messing up. I was always getting drunk. I had no understanding of how much was too much. And I was, you know, getting sick in public places. Like it was humiliating myself all the time. Um, and then I very quickly just became a daily drinker within like the first year. And then, you know, that was every day I was drinking because I was stressed mm -hmm. and I learned in grad school, like alcohol helps with your stress. And I was like, well, I'm stressed every day. So, so what would you drink when you were a daily drinker wine or was there something? Yeah. You were a wine. I drinker. was a wine drinker. Yeah. And then, um, when my husband and I, I were engaged and first got married, we didn't have a lot of money. So I switched to vodka to save money. <laughs> Oh, which was like a nightmare, yeah, but mostly no. wine. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. I think that that's, I mean, I'm very open. I talked to you, I think, in the beginning before we recorded about how I lean on alcohol I, uh, you know, I think a lot of times too, I drank a lot in college. Um, I was a big partier, big in like, I was a cocktail waitress in West Hollywood, you know, like that's what you did. You partied. And then I, you know, I've always kind of like leaned on alcohol, but then you have kids and then it's like the whole social aspect of like going out with moms and then drinking. And then it turns into like, you drink at home and you drink wine, um, but it is it I've always said to myself, well, if I turn to like a hard liquor, I that's would be very scary to me. Yeah, because and and is and yes, have do I drink alcohol like vodka? Sometimes I'll have a dirty martini, but I'm always know in my head. I'm like, then the, there's going to be a real problem. And I don't know if there's a way back from that. Is that how you kind of felt? Is that what was happening when you switched to that to vodka? Not really. I did it for maybe like six months and my tolerance increased quick. Yeah. Like I was blacking out like every day, like drinking a lot. And I noticed my tolerance had doubled within that time period. So I was 24. So I had been drinking for two years. Yeah. Yeah. And that was when I thought like, I should just drink less. Let's just moderate. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't. Shocker. But um, then I switched back to wine. Eventually, like we weren't we weren't financially struggling as much anymore. And I went back to wine. But sometimes I would do vodka drinks. And those nights were really bad. Like that'll mess you up quick. Yeah. When you drink like me. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Did you so when you switch back to wine, would you, did you continue to like black out? Like you would drink every night just to black out or was it, I mean, cause I think that when you're in your twenties, especially you're like, I don't have a problem. Like everybody parties, everybody drinks, especially in the American culture. Like it's a very typical, like every, I, everyone I know drinks, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we definitely, I definitely have friends that are sober that really struggled, but um, I'm curious to know, like, were were you like talking to yourself at night or in the morning saying, okay, tomorrow, like where you go, oh, I'm not going to drink for a week. I'm not going to drink for three days. Were you doing that? No, I couldn't no. fathom taking that much time off. I would okay. have occasionally times where I would say, I'm not going to drink tonight or I'm going to try to do a mocktail or something. Um, I don't think I did that very many times. And then when I was around like 26, 25, 26, I lost the ability to do that. I couldn't skip a day after that. Um, and I would wake up every day and I would be like, oh, never again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I would try to say like, I'm not drinking Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, but then I would drink on Monday <laughs> yeah. and I would try to do like all of these things 
to control how much I was having and like I would keep track in a notebook and I never stuck to any of it. I just couldn't. And I never wanted to be drunk. Yeah. I got drunk like accidentally, like every single time. <laughs> Which yeah. sounds ridiculous when you get accidentally drunk every time for seven years. But um, I wanted the buzz part and I wanted that part to stay. And I just kept drinking and would go right into drunk. And then like that's when I would feel really ashamed of myself because I still had that belief this means you're a bad person. This means you're a loser. And that, I think, was the hardest for me because I kept believing, like, you are a loser. What, what you did your drunk. husband, what did your husband say? Like, was he drinking right there with you? Was, I mean, were you still like, were you a functioning alcoholic or functional? Am I okay to say that? Functioning yeah, yeah. alcoholic? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Did you consider yeah. yourself a functioning alcoholic? So I didn't think I had a problem yeah. until I quit. Um, what I was your What was your breaking point? Mental health. Okay. Um, yeah. So my husband drank with me most days. Um, he grew up with a lot of drinking, so he thought it was just normal adult behavior. So he didn't think I was doing anything wrong. Um, but as the years went on, my mental health got worse and worse and worse. Um, it started like when I was twenty five. I would be so depressed like I couldn't get out of bed mm -hmm. and I thought like oh it's just tequila mm -hmm. I just have to stop drinking tequila and I kept having these like little little tiny fixes that really did nothing like that one and then it got so bad that I couldn't ignore it anymore and I developed anxiety um, which I don't struggle with anymore and I also became really suicidal Mm -hmm. from all of the all depression, of depression. Mm -hmm. and the suicidal, suicidal thoughts, thoughts eventually were what scared me enough that I quit but I had to really believe like this is from alcohol for a while I thought it was me I thought I was just a suicidal person so I had to prove to myself like no this is alcohol and if you drink your life is at risk and once I believed that I was able to stop that's so interesting. I know that you talk on your podcast about like what alcohol does to like your brain chemistry and mm -hmm. but I I also and I'm very open with this um was suicidal and had suicidal ideations could not stop thinking about it a few years ago. And it's a very scary and dark 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 place to be. Mm -hmm. Um but I never considered the link between alcohol and that. And I was having severe panic attacks. It's really interesting to know. And and I'm sure that that is, I mean, it makes sense that it would link together in some way. Yeah, it's just the way that alcohol changes your brain chemistry. It overexcites your brain. Because if you think about what alcohol does, it makes you feel relaxed. So it calms you down and it makes you feel happy. So your brain, to balance it out, is going to cause the exact opposite effect, which is depression and an anxiety. So when you're like drinking and you feel relaxed and happy, and then as the alcohol wears off, your brain chemistry is so messed up that you feel like overexcited and anxious and very, very depressed. And if that continues on, 
like in my case, it did for years, the depression gets lower and lower and lower and lower each time you crash after the alcohol wears off, that it can evolve into suicidal thoughts. That's so interesting. I never would have made the connection, but it does it does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen a girl at the bar, or maybe you've done this, I'm this kind of person, but you have a drink and you're like super happy and mm-hmm. fun and like everything's great. I'm and that girl. That- I'm the girl at the bar. That was me or it still can be me if I drink too much. Yeah. 100%. Do you also cry at the end of the night? No, I don't. Thank yeah, God. that was me. So okay. I would have this huge spike in happiness. And then at the end of the night, I'm crying. And that's because of the way that alcohol is affecting your serotonin. So when you first drink, it causes a big release of serotonin. So you're super happy. And then at the end of the night, as mm-hmm. it wears off, it causes a huge drop in serotonin and you go like way below your baseline levels. And that's why people will like spontaneously cry when they're drunk or get like very emotional because well, of that serotonin It does drop. make sense. I mean, I know that for me, if I drink too much, I tend to, everybody's a different kind of drunk, yeah. right? I tend to be, um, I get angry. Mm-hmm. I can get, so I have to really watch it because um, I it, it, bring, it also brings up all of my past stuff, which I'm assuming yep. happened to you too. Right. Yeah. So that's also serotonin. Mm-hmm. So some people, just the way their genetics are, mm-hmm. is they're really vulnerable to getting angry and aggressive from alcohol. And it's the same thing. So like where I get depressed, you get angry. But it's like the same process going on in the brain. We just have different genetics and brain chemistry. Um, yeah. So I think I think that's cool. That I mean, it's not, but it's interesting that you get very angry when you get drunk. And that's just your brain chemistry. It's like your genetics are different. Like I wouldn't really get angry. I would just hate myself and feel anxious and depressed. It, it's like alcohol can be such a good thing in moderation, right? Um, I think back to your story where you talk about like the half a glass of wine. Yeah. yeah. And like, but you already had this guilt about it. I think in my own family, you know, we're Irish, <laughs> Irish and Italian, which is not a good combo for drinking. Um, all loud can be angry, you know, lots of volatility, like fighting sometimes, that kind of stuff. But it was just a normal thing. It, and it is a normal thing in my family. We're all wine drinkers and at events, you know, we all drink like a lot of wine and But I do think about, like, I don't know, I'm in this place where I'm like, I, I, I like, I need to figure it out, put it that way. But I'm very open with it, because I'm like, trying so hard to be, have my mental health where I need it to be. And I think every day is a test and a journey. And I've worked so hard to get to where I am right now. But the one piece of it is like, I'm like, do I still, do I drink too much? And I don't really want to take out the mirror and admit that I lean too much on alcohol. I'll say it to you, but does it mean I'm not going to? I, I, you know, that's something I'm dealing with. But I'm really honest about it. And I think it's important to be honest about it because I think a lot of people are probably in the same shoes that I am, right? 
and not on the other side like you are. So tell me, when you got to the place where you stopped drinking, how did you get to where you are today? And I love what you're doing. So talk about Thank that. You. Yeah, so I first I stopped drinking for 90 days. And I was like, if I do 90 days, I'll you know be able to moderate, even though I could never moderate ever. But mm-hmm. I'll be able to moderate. My tolerance is just too high. <laughs> I just need like a break. Um, so I did the 90 days and then I drank again. And I day 91 was on my 29th birthday. And I was like, this is fate. Like it's a sign from the universe. I'm on the right path. I'm supposed to drink. I'm going to moderate. Look at me. <laughs> But don't you think, Jill, that like a lot of people do that? Like, I know I was trying to be sober January and like, you know, you do all these things and you're like, if I just get to like such and such date, then I'll be perfectly fine. You know, I think that that in our culture in America, especially like it's just I'm sure other there's big drinking cultures besides America, but it's just like. That's so common where people are like, I'm doing a 21 day cleanse. And then after the, I know I've done that. And then after the 21 days, I'm like, I can't wait for day 22 because I'm going to open a bottle of wine. So I, that's so common, right? Yeah. And it worked in the beginning. I moderated for the first time ever. I Mm -hmm. had two glasses of wine on Saturday night. I didn't want any more. And this is down from seven days a week. Yeah. And I was like, I figured it out. Like, look at my life. (laughs) And then we went on a cruise with the drink package. And I told myself. I don't know if you know this, Jill, and I'm not trying to make light of it, but I don't think cruises are good for you. I'm just going to throw that out there because this is the second cruise story. (laughs) (laughs) So cruises and Jill don't mix. And I'm just kidding. But I mean, second cruise story. Okay, so you went on another cruise. So I went, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I didn't yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I had to say it. I didn't connect it. No. Yeah, you were like looking at me like, you are I was like, what's the, what's the first cruise? <laughs> the first cruise was when you had the half a glass of wine. Yeah, the first one you talked about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so go on. Anyways, so I told myself, it's a special occasion. Drink however you want, blah, blah, blah. I humiliated myself so many times on this cruise. It was so bad. Um, And when I got home, I was drinking every day again with absolutely no control. All that moderation was gone. The 90 days did nothing. And that's because you can't change how you drink. Like you just, you drink for a reason and you're always going to drink that way. And I could, like I've been sober for like two and a quarter years or something. And yeah, maybe I'd moderate for six months or something. Mm -hmm. But eventually I'd go back to drinking like normal for me because that's just how I drink. Um, So after the cruise, like right away, all the anxiety came back, all the suicidal thoughts came back. And I suffered for months, like four more months, I think. And then... One night, I was super suicidal. It was really scary. And I looked at my husband, and I was just like, I can never drink ever again. And I think I accepted in that moment, like, this is what drinking looks like for you. There's no glamorous moderation that we see in the movies. Like, 
because my husband also is just like a regular old take it or leave it doesn't care drinker Mm -hmm. and I would watch him do that my brother drinks like that and I'm like why can't I be like these jerks why can't I do it and I realized like I just can't I just can't do it it's the chemistry and and like some people just and also like out they talk about having being allergic to alcohol they talk about right um is so you you were done like that was your moment where you were like I'm done and that must have been such a scary moment but also such a freeing moment right tell me about like that moment where you were like I'm done and and I can do this how did you do it I felt so at peace Mm -hmm. when I said it like yeah it was scary because I had no hobbies or life outside of drinking alcohol but I felt so at peace that I just accepted I can never do this again and like it was hard in the beginning I had to find like what am I gonna do like I literally just would go to work and drink like I didn't do anything else so I had to fill up all of this time it was like a second full-time job is drinking alcohol so that was a little overwhelming Um, And then dealing with like all of the emotions that came back from that, because you're not aware of how muted your emotions get when you drink the way that I was drinking every day. Um, And all of this anger came back that I had never dealt with. And all of this stuff came up that I had to learn how to handle. Like I never learned any healthy coping strategies as a kid or as an adult. I just learned, you know, to not eat and to drink a thousand drinks. And now Mm -hmm. I can't do either of those things. So I didn't know what to do. So I went to therapy and like my therapist has helped me work on like, what are you feeling? Why are you feeling this way? What can you do that's not self-destructive? And still like to this day, over two years in, when something really stressful will happen, my first thought is like, go to the store, get a bunch of those little airplane bottles and like ruin your life in your car. Nobody will know. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. Did you, so did you go to AA? Like, what did you do? Yeah, I didn't do anything because I didn't need, I wasn't like everybody else. I felt that way. Um, I thought that I didn't need that kind of support. So I did it by myself. Which was hard because I didn't, I thought like all of these things were unique to me. All of the shame, the suicidal thoughts, the anxiety. I thought I was the only one in the world that experienced it. And then I got on some Facebook groups for sober people. And eventually I started sharing there. And then people were like, yeah, me too. Yeah, I was suicidal too. And so many people said it to me that I was like, wow, I'm not unique at all like my story is not unique and even now like it surprises me like I can share the most minor detail of my drinking and multiple people will be like "Mm -hmm, same and I have done some meetings I don't do them regularly um, to answer your question I just I'm like blown away by your story I think that it's so brave to be able to admit like 
I mean, you're still very young. And that's the thing. Like, thank God you got to the place where you did at such a young age, you know, and had the the that moment in life like we have these moments where like no more right and you were able to do it on your own you should give yourself like a big giant pat on the back for that and then tell me like you turned what you went through right into helping others so you have a your podcast now that I don't know how to say um (laughs) you're the best Tell me like what, how that came about. Cause two and a half years, that's still fairly, it is. it's still fairly fresh. And I think it's also to be able to be honest like that and be like, listen, like I still struggle. I mean, from what I understand from talking to every person I've ever met in my life, that's an addict. It's always like somewhere in the back of your mind. And that's why people um, have relapses, right? They go to like a wedding. They're like, oh, I've been sober for 20 years and I'm just going to have one glass of wine. And some people just can't, they cannot, cannot do that. And it sounds to me like you're one of those people because then it'll just spiral out of control and you know that. So how did the podcast come about? Yeah. So I, I work as a biochemist. Um, Oh my God. Of course you do. I, I always have people on that are like super smart. And then I'm like, well, I was in, uh, when I was a senior in college, I was in freshman um, math with all the freshmen in college. Yeah, I feel really good about myself again. Go ahead, proceed. So you're a biochemist. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. I love, I love meeting smart women. That's, it's so inspiring to me. So tell me about, tell me about that. Tell me about being a biochemist. I'll never understand it. So a big part of my job is keeping up on the latest research and finding okay. that information and understanding it. And when I quit drinking, I wanted to know, like, is do I have no self-control? Am I actually that bad, weak loser that I think? Like, why was I so suicidal and now all of a sudden I'm not? And I started reading about it same way I would for work. I just started mm-hmm. looking up the research And it became like my new hobby. And I did it every day. And when I was around eight months sober, I had learned so much. And it was helping me so much that I just woke up one day and I was like, you got to share this information. People need to know this. This would help them to know why they're experiencing the things that they're experiencing. So I started thinking like I could blog uh, do people still read blogs? <laughs> That's right. I don't even understand what a blog is. I mean, right? sorry so, if sorry to the people that have them. I, it's they're so confusing to me. Yeah. But go on. Yeah, you could start a blog. Yeah, and then I was like, I don't know if people still read blogs, so I, you know, got rid of that idea. And then I was like, you could podcast. I didn't know how to do that either. And then I was like, you could make a YouTube. Didn't know how to do that either. <laughs> and like the video felt really big for me yeah so I was like okay we're just gonna podcast and I just launched it that day like I just recorded an episode um I zoomed how long ago was this when did you start it it was June 2020 okay it was a quarantine project mine my I'm a quarantine podcast yep that's so funny it was the perfect time for it right yeah yeah and so, and so you started it because you had all this research because you're super smart. Um, 
And you were able to, and then, and now your podcast has become very, very successful and you help a ton of people, correct? So how did like, tell me about like how that evolved. Like, were you like, cause being a podcaster myself, do you ever feel this way by the way? Cause I would like to do an entire podcast about doing a podcast. Yes. Which I might, um, because people like you and I, oh, I'm going to start a podcast. I was like, what? I didn't even really understand even what a podcast was. I just thought it was like a smart person thing that people do on NPR when I started a podcast. Yep. And then you start, do you ever feel this way where you're like, who are these people? Like, why am I, I did this episode and I know people downloaded it because I, unless like this is made up, a lot of people listen but they never like tell me that they're listening. <laughs> I'm like, listeners, can you tell me something? Like, w- especially who when are you-, you? Yeah, like, who are you? I want to be your friend. Will you please reach out to me? And even <laughs> if I give my Instagram, like, I definitely have the regulars that reach out to me. But like, it's so cool to me that people in other countries listen. Do you feel yeah. like that too? And you're like, Sheila, Joni, Bobby Sue, <laughs> like, wherever you are, please tell me that, like, you're listening and I want your feedback. What are you thinking? Do you feel that way ever? Yeah, I th- I've had people from other countries reach out to me and be like, I love your show. I live in like Spain or I live in yeah. Africa. And I'm like, wow, I you know. listen to it me? Is, <laughs> it is kind of cool because they are those people. But then there's the other people that listen and like you don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. It's so it's it's like a very interesting feeling. But I love that you decided to take what you had learned. And I'm wondering if you kind of feel like I selfishly do this too. Number one, because I can't deal with not having attention. Um, number two, I do it because I really want to help other people. And I want people to feel like it's okay to talk about you know, that you were suicidal or you dealt with depression or that you're an ace or, you know, your dad was an ass and all of the things that people deal with or you went through some kind of loss, whatever it is, do you feel like that is like, I'm doing this, this gives me purpose? Yeah. And you need purpose in sobriety. And it also gives me a ton of accountability because Mm -hmm. I have a show every Friday that people like I wake up in the morning and there's like hundreds of listens already while I was asleep to the new it's episode. It's so weird how it happens. Isn't yeah. it crazy? Yeah. 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 And I feel like if I just didn't upload it, people would notice and a, at least a couple people would care. And that makes me feel really good. And that even when it gets hard or I have thoughts like, maybe it's been long enough. I think like, no, you have people that somewhat enjoy hopefully your podcast (laughs) and they'd miss it no it's true it's true it's like having all the followers or like whatever it is also keeps you accountable for what you're doing but also like just having a purpose in life like I always I talk a lot about having a purpose-driven life and like the tests and things that we have to go through in life and they suck like the things you went through I like to freaking take that. Why do I say the word freaking? It's so weird. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm, I don't know why I say it, but like that girl, like at the bus stop that was mean to you. I wish I could go to that girl and be like, why? And it really had nothing to do with you, which you know had to do with her. But 
the amount of damage that it caused in, you know, and then dealing with your home issues and all of this stuff, but you've completely turned all of that around, gone through all the shit storm that you went through and you're young. So God willing, you have a long time and I can't wait to see what happens with your podcast and whatever it turns into like a book or movie or whatever it is. There's just so much out there for you. And I just, I mean, I say this a lot to people and I happen to be very lucky to interview amazing people like you, but you really are an amazing person. And I hope you know that. And I hope that you are, I cry all the time. It's so embarrassing, but I hope that you look in the mirror and you go, I matter. And and I, there is somebody in Bangladesh right now that's listening <laughs> to my podcast and maybe they're struggling with sobriety and like every Friday they live for this podcast and it's fun by the way to wake up the day that you're it's kind of like Christmas morning I don't know if you feel this way when you wake up and you're like oh my god I've already had this many downloads who are these people um but I love what you're doing and I think you're incredible and I and I'm and I'm so grateful for you coming on and telling your story And I hope that your heart is healing and I hope that you realize like what, like what you're doing is so needed. And I'm just very, very appreciative for you coming on. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. I think you're lovely. And even though it was serious, that story, like I'll never forget that story. Of the boob. Well, I tend, I tend to embarrass myself quite often. It's the best way to start it. You know what? Like, I say this a lot that if I if I did the podcast and I didn't like there's gifts that we're all given in life, you know, like whatever it is. And my gift happens to be which I used to not think was a gift, but I am a giant loudmouth and I like to be funny and make people laugh. I live for it. And I just think when we're talking about such important like subjects like sobriety or like abuse or, you know, suicide or whatever it is, if you can't like laugh and find ways to, you know, find humor in every single day of your life, like, I just think it's so important. So I'm glad that you don't, you didn't walk away after I mispronounced the beginning of your podcast. Can you tell people where where they can follow you and find you? And also please tell what the real name of the podcast is. So my podcast is Sober Powered. Uh, that's also who I am on Instagram. It's my YouTube, my Facebook group. So if you search for Sober Powered, you'll find me. Oh, you have a Facebook group too. I'm going to join that. I followed, Definitely. I, I already followed you. I hope that we can remain friends if you weren't Absolutely. too annoyed. Um, I'm glad that your hiney has not been exposed <laughs> on the tea lately. Um, but in that closing, I know of. <laughs> That you know of, that you know of. Um, And I'm going to make sure, by the way, as I started in the beginning, make sure your buttons are buttoned, ladies, and and make sure your tights, your dresses aren't tucked into your underwear, your tights, like Jill. Um, But in all seriousness, um, I think this was a very important episode. I think there's a lot of people that might be like me, and they think, am I, do I lean too much on alcohol? Like, Maybe, you know, this is something to explore. Um, 
but and like look in the mirror and realize like there is hope there are people like Jill that like you know got help or you know is helping other people every Friday with her podcast so I'm so grateful I can't wait to keep in touch with you I like to keep in touch with all of my guests I don't know if some of them get annoyed by me but (laughs) that's okay Um, and in closing I say this every episode. My dad used to say, who I lost when I was a little girl, he used to say, be happy by making other people happy. And so I selfishly do this podcast because I this makes me happy and I love making other people happy. So be happy by making other people happy, everyone. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.